and welcome to another edition of the Bash Bros Podcast. My name's Ryan Nelson, and today I'm joined by my brother from another mother and co-host, Corey BMTG. How's it going, bro? You know, man, I cannot complain at all. How about yourself? Well, I can complain about a lot of things because Pioneer is uh, is a complete mind F. Yeah, no kidding. Especially when you <laughs> just start testing it after you basically didn't play any Pioneer up until this new year, huh? Yeah, I mean, I waited until the results from Nagoya and Brussels came in and, and there was a lot of interesting data. And I've been playing yep. a lot and I'm starting to get my head around it, yep. but it's still difficult. Now, before we get into it, we are going to be doing a Pioneer-centric episode because we have... Uh, players tour Phoenix this weekend. I do have to say that this podcast can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Got that out of the you way. You nailed Ooh. it. You nailed Don't oh, forget aisle seven yeah. of our local grocery store, though. That also is true, but we do not have a local grocery store because I live in Renton, Washington. You live in Roanoke, Virginia. That's true. I'm talking about our hometown of Mandan, North Dakota. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. I did not know that. It seems like a really bad place for placement, but we've, <laughs> we we've don't sold, do everything right. We've sold zero copies. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But just like every other Bash Bros podcast in the past, we do have a special guest that we need to announce. And... Thanks to Joel Larson winning uh, Players Tour Brussels and being an old pro rising back to glory, we wanted to bring in a current pro who's falling out of glory, and that is none other than Brian Brown doing <laughs> what is up, BBD? It is a glory, a stay indeed. <laughs> so do you I feel like a know, glory, but so do, do you feel like a glory bringer or a glory bearer? I feel like a glory having been brought. Yeah, like I, nice, this, is, this is like nice. bring it on uh, two. I'm like I'm like the bring it on two of uh, bring of it dragons. on four or five, maybe like really declining. You know, yeah, well, I was yeah. just thinking like you know, oh, it's already been brought in. Like some people are the glory bringers, yeah. and I'm like the glory. Oh, it's already <laughs> been brought in. Uh, <laughs> but that's being brought against me. So 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 speaking of sequels, now this is completely off topic. But the other day, Corey, Brian, and I and Amber were talking. We saw a commercial for Fast and Furious 9. Oh, my God. Really? And, yeah, so now we're just excited at the possibility that 10 comes out, and it's called the Fast and, your, Fast and the Furious it, Fast 10, Your Seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's too soon, man. Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. wait. No, I didn't even get that. That's not even where I was going. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's just a pun, but you took it dark. Whoa. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking of the last few Fast and the Furiouses, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I did. I, ooh. That, right, would that, would that make the 11th let's, one Fast 11, year 7? I don't, I don't know. Wow, wow. <laughs> That's why I'm not on the team. That's why they Let's take, let's take a moment squad. of silence for the Fallen. Yeah. As I've uh, unknowingly, uh, yeah, brought up too soon. All right, let's start over. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's, let's just let's start over. Let's start the podcast over. All yep. right, so no, seriously, yep. um, we're going to be talking about Pioneer. It's a format that I've been uh, practicing because all three of us are going to be in Phoenix this weekend playing in the first players tour in North America. And I'm pretty excited now after watching Brussels and Nagoya coverage. I was all weekend. I was glued. I reset my sleep schedule, messed it all up, got it back pretty well. Um but before that, you also were playing in a tournament this weekend, uh, brother. 
from yeah. another mother. How did that go? Well, first of all, I want to say how ironic would it be that you mess up your sleep schedule so bad you do bad at the players tour because you were watching other players tour? That is just. Oh, no. Be- I mean, I, I'm back. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm already back to my 11-7. I got up super early this morning. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, SCG Richmond was this last weekend and me, Ely Cassis and Pete Ingram took it down. Yeah, you're making it look so easy. Just oh, so easy. You, you roll into Roanoke, you're killing it on the Versus Series, and now you're just, you, you've you won two out of the five Opens you played in and top-aided four of the five that you've played in since you moved yeah. there, right? Yep, yep. That's, uh, I, I need one more top eight to get my to get on that leaderboard, and uh, the closest conversion rate, or the highest conversion rate was 38%, and I think, uh, I'm not a mathematician, but I think I'm going to crush that conversion rate if I can get there pretty soon. So, oh, yeah, no. I, I got, I got, so, is the only open that you didn't top eight the one where uh, you lost in a team tournament to the team of Sarani, <laughs> Brown Dewan, and Ingram? No, we lost to the team of Ingram and uh, <coughs> beat Brian Brown Dewan. Shaheen got slapped. That's right. Yeah, that yeah, is right. Yeah, that is actually correct, though. Yep. Nice. I'm glad that I could be the only one to keep you out of the top eight. So yeah, yeah. Well, they say if you can't beat them, join them. So I just took Pete from you, and then uh, we've been uh, we've been joining them. Mm. That's yeah. true. But but yeah. Pete also didn't top eight because he was on a team with Shaheen Sarani and Brian Brown. Doing that's right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're, that's we're, gonna, true. we're gonna keeping other people out of the top eight. We're never gonna. We're not gonna including like, teammates. I remember yeah. going eight one in a team open and not making day two, and I was playing with Brian Brown doing as well. Hey, I mean, coincidence? I think not. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we get any further, we've got a new sponsor for the podcast, so let's hear from them first. Hey, bro. How's it going? (laughs) Terrible, Corey. Terrible. Terrible. How come? Well, I'm sorting magic cards of all things right now. Ew. Why are you doing that? That sounds absolutely heinous. Well, I just reached my breaking point. Every set that comes out, I pile up more and more extra cards, and it's becoming a problem for me and my fiance. I need to get rid of all these cards, but I just don't want to spew value on them. Dude. Just use Card Conduit. What's Card Conduit? It's the new card hoarder thing. You ship them your cards and they do everything else. They sort and grade your cards, create a buy list, and then sell them on your behalf. Once they finish selling your cards, then they take a small fee and then they just give you that cash. It's honestly that easy, dude. (laughs) Wait, what? That sounds awesome. I'm going to go look them up right now. I know, do it. I should also add that it's 10% off fees by going to cardconduit.com slash bash bros. BBD, get, get the hell out of here. This is this is our sponsored ad. How did you even get in here? Why did we not notice you? Uh, I've just been hiding behind the piles of brass cards. Ah, uh, BBD. What will he do next? Card Conduit, the easiest way to sell magic cards. So we've got Pioneer to talk about. Now, let's just go and have a... I'm, go, I'm just going to quick recap um, what happened this past weekend. Now, the inverter deck, thanks to, yet again, uh, Canister, even though, yeah. you know, he's, he's he's working hard. He's doing some good shit. Now he's my arch nemesis after beating me in MC7. But <laughs> he, he was out there streaming a bunch with the blue-black inverter deck. A lot of other people started doing it, too. But uh, it got really popular for this event, and it went from being a super rogue <laughs> deck to one of the most played decks in the room in in a very short period of time, which was which was awesome to see a deck just jump in 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 you know two weeks and now a lot yeah. of you know th- that was the buzz going into the weekend is how good is this deck going to do? Is it just going to dominate the format? And are we going to be talking about emergency bans, or or is this going to be just another you know? 
flounderous deck. Now, I don't even think any of the data really shows it being good or bad, but um, it was a part of the metagame, and I think it's going to stay because it did roll up with like a, a positive above 50% win percentage, which doesn't always happen when it's that highly played of a deck. And Usually, I, I will say like it was a ton of high-level players that were playing the deck yeah. too. So, I mean, that is going to factor in, plus these good players, you know, I guess that doesn't factor in limited, but yeah, anyways, just a lot of great players playing the deck. And I mean, the Demir Inverter deck had such a footprint on SCG Richmond too. It was, it was unreal how many divert mirror, uh, um, inverter oh, they, mirrors. They never, they never showed pioneer because both players were playing inverter. Inverter all always Pete played like nine mirror matches or something. It was crazy. Yeah. Every time I tuned into coverage, it was just a mirror match. So the mirror match, mirror yeah. match. Yeah, that's, that's great that's i'll great. see Very myself nice. out yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to yeah nothing yeah. on my behalf yeah so the most played deck or close to most played deck in both tournaments combined was mono black aggro and that's another deck that kind of just rolled up with like a 50 percent win percentage over the course of the two weekends it, it got a top eight but but most I, I don't even remember did it even top eight nagoya it was such a lackluster deck. Uh, so so yeah. so the mono black vampires deck top aided. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, the, the mono black vampires variant of By it, Budokov, which had yeah. which, which had a much higher win percentage than than the other uh, yeah the other archetypes. I think well, it makes could, sense should, to me. It makes sense to me too. Um, yeah. So I, mono black aggro is one of the decks I was considering for the um, the upcoming players tour, and I'm I'm off the deck completely. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a bad deck. I actually do. Like, I know it had a reasonable win rate, uh, but I, there are just some aspects of the deck that feel flawed to me. And I think that the Vampires deck is is a better version of the deck because I don't think the two one for one aggro plan is is getting the job done. And so you're more into that two three for two. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no. I, yeah. I I just think that the Vampires deck is 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 a, a little more resilient. And I think the combination of, you know, the nut draw that we've seen in standard where you can soar and bring in champion of dusk and then mix together with the fact that you can gain so much life against other non-vampire mono black decks and mono red decks makes it so you have a favor match, favorable match against both of those, in my opinion. And I think that's why these vampire decks did pretty well. I know Christian yeah. Hawk played it as well. I, he only went like six and four with it, but... You're well, losing, I don't even think it did that well, honestly. I mean, you're losing speed. You're losing some speed from the other deck, but I, I think you you more than make up for it by like having a game plan that's better than just like, oh, another 2-1 two, for 2 on turn 6. Yeah. That's not going to do it. Yeah, and you play some bad cards too. Like Dust Legion Zealot is not a great card, but... It is in the context of the vampire strategy. Yeah, but honestly, because of all the synergies. But yeah, it's not. It's not going to get the. You're not going to kill somebody really fast with a zealot. You know. Exactly. In my opinion, you can't really play that vampire deck if you're expecting a ton of combo. Like I think it beats these fair mono black mono red decks that people probably expected for last weekend's players tour. But I I don't think it really competes with some of these uh, combo decks that are going over the top. It's definitely having gonna have some issues there. That's that's yeah. for sure. I mean, it, yeah. y- you do have access to discard. I mean, yeah. Thoughtseize is is you know one of the best yeah, cards so, in the format. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, I I definitely don't have a lot of experience with the Vampires deck, but I will say that it it did have a much smaller sample size than Monoblock Aggro, which does make a deck get closer to fifty percent in the win percentage. I mean, just the theory of if if there's only one deck in a metagame, then the win percentage, even though it took all top eight finishes, it still was fifty percent. 
Um, so when a deck's 10, 20% of the metagame, it's going to, it's not going to have the spikes, right? Like Soltai yeah. had like a 78 win percentage or however high it was, but that's because only a few select few people played it it's, and it was a good deck. It's yeah, also had five players, right? There's also one other thing about st- statistics that I want to point out that isn't um, cl- necessarily clear uh, that goes along with this too, is that uh there's always going to be outliers because there's so many opportunities for an outlier to happen. Like there's, you know, like how like 20 different rogue decks, 30 rogue decks, 50 rogue decks or whatever. So there's like, if only if, if the tournament was filled with people who um, were the only person playing their archetype, some people would go eight and two and it wouldn't mean that the deck was good. You would just see it as an 80% win rate um, because it's such a small sample size. So just by like nature of how statistics work, the higher percentage decks are almost always going to be low sample size decks because they're just, when you have that many decks being played, it, like there has to be some that will just spike out of randomness. Yeah. Like but that's then just, you, yeah. But then you also see, you know, the spots where it's kind of flipped like that. Like in Barcelona, Hogak was an absurd percentage, but they also had an absurdly high win percentage. And, you know, I mean, that is an anomaly, but that's when you get those insanely broken decks. That, right. that kind of stuff. Happens. Exactly, because yeah. that was the most played deck and had a win rate of like 56%. Like six, I thought it was higher. I thought it was like 62. Well, that was the that was the dredge version of it. But yeah, it's oh, like... sure, sure, sure. But yeah, like you get a win rate of like something like 56% with a deck that's like 20% of the field. That's, that is more impressive than a random deck that was only played by 1% of the field getting 70% or whatever. Well, yeah, it's also, it's also more impressive because it's factoring in all the mirror matches (laughs) and all the bad players, realistically, you know? Well, that is true. Yeah. That factors it. Yeah. Well, that actually, that is a good point because that does factor into, um, that also factors into the outlier thing where like, yeah. yeah, So, yeah. So, so anyway, um, and now looking at this, Demir Inverter also was the had the most matches played uh, than of any deck, and it still had a fifty eight percent win percentage. That's actually very high. Yeah. Um, but it it didn't it didn't top off that well. Like it didn't take over the tournaments. It almost won one, but it didn't, and it it lost the finals of of both tournaments. So I um, wonder. I I don't understand how this data was. Sorry to interrupt, but. It's it's this like data that we're looking at shows it as having the most matches played, but it's not the highest uh, representation in the metagame. Is that just saying that a lot of people who played the deck didn't make date or? I think I think it was close to the same as Mono Black combined, but Mono Black I probably just didn't have as good of a conversion rate. Right. Yeah, that's what it has to be. Yeah, because because yeah. Mono Black was the most played deck, but if Demir Inverter had the most matches, that means that it had a much better conversion rate than Mono Black. Well, Mono Black mm-hmm. had a lower um, <clears throat> per percentage in the room than Demir Inverter in Nagoya. In okay. Brussels, uh, Mono Black slightly edged out Inverter as okay. most played deck. Um, I'm fairly confident with that. And also, yeah, it's also close. Like Mono Black Agro, I see in this has total matches played 436, where Demir has 443. It's very close. Yep. Um, but so Demir Murder is still going to be a thing um, coming in. But let's talk about like the decks that were the outliers, the ones that like really turned heads. And I think the first one we have to talk about is Banned Spirits. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, Azuria Spirits was a deck around for a while, but it wasn't doing that well. And Azuria they, Spirits had a negative win percentage at the at the players' tours. Yes, so. it did. Yeah. 
Yes, it did. Um, Azuri Spirits did did 49%, while Banned Spirits was 64.2. Again, 67 uh, matches is not a lot. Yeah, Where um, are you getting this data from? Because the, the two <clears throat> links that you provided us with are not the same numbers. Uh, I sent you one at the end here. I'll yeah. send it again. Yeah, the most recent one there, BBD. I'm seeing the numbers. But yeah, the one thing about Banned Spirits is, or I, sh- I should say the one thing about Azuria Spirits is it didn't really have that insanely powerful card, like playing these good spirits at instant speed and being able to react to your opponent is very important, but you didn't have that one card that just really threw it over the edge and collected company was exactly what you need with all these Lords spell quellers. It's just such a good collected company deck that it it makes a lot of sense that it was a huge upgrade for the deck. And and it's also that um, late it deep into the, the evolution of these strategies, People realize that Nibblegast Herald was just a four of auto include in the strategy. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been playing some with Soltai spoilers. We'll get to there. I'm playing the mid range deck. Um, Shocking. But, but Nibblegast Herald is really good against Uro. Yes. You know, and, and that's just mm-hmm. kind of filthy actually that they can just keep tapping down this six, six. And so I'm only assuming that other matchups that I've been playing like Nibblegast Harris is just going to be awesome. It can tap down a wrinkle. It can tap down uh, an insult artifact thing, you know, like, yep. Um, it can tap down a Torben and then Chain Roller still does three to everything. Like it's it it can do it all. And I and, I, I do. Oh, sorry. Finish, go ahead. Oh, and and so like because you know Spirits is this deck of like you know build up a bunch of Anthem Tribal. It's also needs to interact because it's just the creatures aren't powerful enough to rumble in in combat. Yeah. So Nibblegas Harris really does you know tie the room together alongside cards like Brazen Borrower. Yeah, and I do think uh, just Spirits in general was a really well-positioned deck uh, for last weekend because of the hype around Demir Inverter, and I think that matchup is excellent for Spirit. You have, like, four Mystical Disputes in the board, too, which is just the best card. Maybe just the best sideboard card in Pioneer, to be honest. That card is just so good, but really good against these Inverter decks at pushing through your spells as well as countering their things that matter like Jace or Inverter plus Oracle, if you have something to back it up, you know? Yeah, no, that, that was one of its worst matchups, actually. Yeah, makes sense. It was Banned Spirits. And, yeah. I mean, again, the, this, I, I'm just, I don't want to keep being a broken record and saying small samples. All of these are usually small samples. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, it does seem like a, a bad matchup, and, and it makes a lot of sense why it is. Yeah. Um, I, I want to point out one thing, which is that Azor- Azorius Spirits had, had a bad win rate and Banned Spirits had a good r- win rate. And and really the only difference between the decks is is collected company. And I think I, I, I think like, you know, there's a there's a trade-off there. Like Azoria Spirits has better mana access to Mutavault, things like that. Um, but the the beauty of of collected company, in my opinion, is that in a format like Pioneer, which is kind of like Wild West and there's a lot of combo decks, it's just more instant speed spell quellers. Cause I think spell queller is just a like a really important, powerful part of this deck. And, uh, and I, I, I honestly, I just think having more spell quellers is like a huge part of the reason why Coco is so good. And one other thing I want to point out is the fact that like mono black is still really big and they rip apart your hand pretty easily or fatal push and stuff. So it comes down to like very key top decks. And if you're top decking one Imperial Eagle or you're top decking two Imperial Eagles, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. The top of your deck is just so much better um with the bant version against you know something like mono black that really disrupts you a lot 
Yeah, because a yeah. lot of times you have to trade early to stay alive yeah. against decks like that, and then you can just get grinded out. So, and if you just top deck a company, you know, on turn five after they went hand disruption, hand disruption, threat, and then they just go double threat, you know, you're so far behind. Well, I feel like yeah, like a, a way, a, an easy way to phrase this that I think is that Azuri Spirits is kind of building a house of cards, but like it's always trading on a one for one unless you get those Rattleclawed Spell Queller turns. But, you know, Bant Spirits always has that out of when you are losing the one-for-one -one battle and your house is coming down, you just have the opportunity to just clench the game with a very big turn. Yep. And it just locks it up because you get two things and that sometimes will stop a removal spell from happening or it'll find you the, the triggers you need for the Nibble Gas Arrow. Like, it's just that big effect that sometimes when you're playing that song and dance and you're losing some ground, it gets you caught back up. Yeah, I just want to point out that it's clinching the game. Clenching is something else entirely that I do a lot of clenching. The game. I, I do a lot of clenching myself, but it, it, in different contexts. So. Hey, man, we're going to get to the Richmond gas station scouter later on, dude. Okay? All right, so sorry. when I say house of cards, do you think brick shit house? Is that how this goes? Is that just how the brain works? Um, so, yeah, so Bant, Bant was a big winner of this weekend. And I think that that is going to be one of, if not, like I think that deck could be the most played deck going into um, Phoenix, honestly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't want to play Demirrors uh, with uh, Demir Inverter Mirrors. People don't even have a ton of confidence in the deck, and people know Spirits has a good matchup against that and Azuria's Control. I feel like those are two decks you really want to beat going into this, so I wouldn't be shocked if that was the number one deck. I actually don't think that you want to beat Azuria's Control because uh, I don't think it's a good deck and that it will show up in high numbers. That's true. That's true. It is a pretty bad deck. Well, yeah, I, 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 you're talking about Azura's control, right? Because yes. yeah. the other the other big loser of the weekend was Niv to Light. Niv to Light yeah. also had a very poor performance, and it's also got a very bad band spirits matchup. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would expect that to, that percentage to just fall off the cliff for next week. But see, that's that's where all of this weird stuff comes. So obviously, not everyone's going to react to things, but people do seem like they'll react a lot. And I think that this tournament is going to be a testament to how fast um, or slow people react to metagames. Yeah. And I'm very curious because we haven't seen this in a while where it's such a big event, but we just, we, there's never a time that I've ever played one of the most important tournaments I play in a year right after a giant data dump. Yeah. Like usually we have like the SCG that's on release events for standard. And then we go into a standard pro tour, but I mean, that's, that's, you know, people are not taking those as seriously as pro tours and there's not, well, it's not as, as much data. Yeah. 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 And just, you don't have pros from all across the world flying in to play these. Yeah. It's really interesting, uh, phenomenon where the question, like, you know, for people who are going to play, who were planning to play Azorius control or Niv to light. And, and we see these decks significantly underperform, which I, I want to be clear about one thing. I mean, we, we harp on it on, on our podcast a lot about how, I mean, I've I've written so many articles about this. We talk about it all the time about how Azorius Control always looks good and always underperforms. And like I, I, I want to just say that we told you so. Like, I, I just, I, I, I will just have also to say, say it. Cause I like, will also <laughs> say I just won a SCG with Azorius Control. But that's in standard. <laughs> that was in standard. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. a different, that's a different format entirely. Yeah, yeah but, for sure. But yeah, like, I, I just want to say that, uh, I'm curious to see if people who are planning to play those decks are going to stick with, like, because there's two options for them. They abandon the deck and find a new deck, or 
They stick with the deck, but adapt it to the metagame, which could then make it good again, you know, if they do a good job of that. So I'm really curious, like, what the Niv players and the Zorius players are going to do uh, for, the, for Phoenix. Well, I can well, tell yeah. you what Shaheen's going to do in our BCW chat, and I'm going to let you know you wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, the adaptation, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah just, just evolving the blue-white deck. Or just playing the same old blue-white deck. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think people are out of their mind. They just like to play their blue-white deck. It, it, like you said, it never performs, and there's always that hope, and every once in a while, they can they can have a good tournament, and then I told you so, everyone, and they live off that for another year and a half while they go yeah. into, you know, win hibernation. Yep. And then they come out of it again a year and a half later, they have some success, and they just, this the cycle repeats. Um. Pro proactive with like somewhat some some disruption is just the way magic is played now. And that's yeah. just how you have to play it in in, in the new world. And even the blue white control decks, like like you when when people would say, but what about blue white control and standards? Like that is not a blue white control deck. That is a blue white tap out control deck. Exactly. I was a proactive like, deck. I played yes. spells every turn and I backed them up with key counter spells. You know, I mean it it. It's not the same. I think people really have this weird, like, psychological thing with Azurius Control and Pioneer. Whenever they win a game, they win with, like, so many cards in hand, and it feels so good. And then they don't really realize when they just get destroyed quickly. They're like, ah, I drew bad, you know? I mean, that that is actually, like, a, a, a real psychological thing, because yeah. you get to spend so much more time winning the games you win. Yeah. Like, when, even if, like, you know, if, if, if we sit down to playtest a matchup 10 games in a row... Yeah. And control blue eye control wins three out of the 10. We blue eye control still spent 55% of the time <laughs> winning. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, like that just happens. <laughs> that's how it works. That's just math. That means Azurius <laughs> controls ahead. <laughs> yeah. But that's psychologically, it might make the players think that. Yeah. If no. they're not, if they're not very data driven, that makes a ton and, of sense. But yeah. So, like, I, I, that's the weird thing going in this weekend, right? Because, for example, uh, if you look at like reds, red and black swim percentages, they were meager. They weren't like that great, but also their rough matchups are kind of like look bad against everything else. Like for example, red did bad against Niv, but Niv did bad against pretty much everything but red. Yeah. yeah. But but red did great against the decks that are coming up in the metagame, like banned spirits. I think red is. I think there's gonna be a red resurgence in Phoenix, and I think it will do very well. But I also think, you know, then you look at the point like Sultai um, Delirium coming up, and that's a great matchup against Red. So it, it depends on how many people are going to pivot to try to do that. You know, I but mean, Demir Inverter also has a good matchup against Red. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, it'll it'll be really interesting. If I thought it was going to be full of banned spirits, you know, maybe I would consider Red, but I don't know. It 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 it's, it is just a very different scenario, like you said, Brad. We're not used to having these back-to-back tournaments and see how fast people will react and pivot. Yeah. And, and, and that's why everyone's going to show up with everything. So if you're going to this event or if you're just going to a future event and you think that like, of course, this is how a metagame should go there. Just always remember every deck still going to show up. The percentages might change, but you're, you're also not guaranteed. Like if, if a deck shows up and is 20% of the field, I've talked to a lot of people that like, for example, Hogak, the pro tour Hogak mm-hmm. people were like, yeah, I brought four ley lines, two surgicals and like something else. And I didn't play the matchup once, <laughs> you know, like that, that shit yeah. happens. Um, oh, yeah. And so there's so much randomness to all of this, even when you play these matches. And so just always understand that, like not as much is going to change as you think. Mm-hmm. And, and because 
people are going to justify their reasons for a lot of things. It's like, well, I tested a bunch. I didn't have time. I'm just playing my deck, the deck that I know. Or they said, I wanted to play this deck and I was going to switch if it did bad because I thought it did bad, but all of these other decks are looking good. So I think that I can prey on the new metagame. And no, no one actually knows. And I've pegged some metagames well. And I'll still say no one actually knows, but you can take credit when you're right. That's just how it works. Of course. Make you bold can... claims and take credit. Blue-eyed control is going to win this tournament. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I think that, it, you know, when it is such a wide open thing where people can play anything, that is why you should play a proactive strategy because you're playing something that does its game plan. So even if you play against a bunch of random stuff, at least you're doing what your deck does. You might run into a bad matchup here or there and lose because of it, but that doesn't mean you played a deck that is bad, you know? You're at least well, playing that, something proactive, I should say. You could play a b- bad deck, but... I mean, that's just that's just good advice and philosophy and magic in general. And yeah. we've been... The three of us try to say that all the time. Yeah. But, you know, there's... People are going to do what they ultimately I think, are going I think to some do. control decks are proactive, and I think those decks can be fine to play in a, in a wide-open field. Yeah. Example, mm-hmm. you know, Demir and Birder. Example, Miracles and Legacy. Decks that, decks that have proactive element anytime you're playing as a control deck and you're thinking to yourself like i have to be worried about what like because normally you play against control and you're like all right i have to be worried about them being able to stop what i'm doing because that's the control thing anytime you're playing as a control deck you have to be like i'm worried about what they're actually doing to kill me i mean that control blue white control and standard is a perfect example i mean i that deck is busted and i was definitely tapping out every single turn or most turns yeah, people um, people are like people aren't like oh man like I I got to play around the wrath co- correctly or whatever they're like mm-hmm. yeah if they get to six mana and they play dream trawler I am dead like mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like that's that's a different kind of a control deck and that's one that can exist in a in a in a wide open field um, traditional control usually struggles in those fields yeah, yeah. unless the cards are busted you know but yeah but yeah so so moving on to the other deck that I think that was known before the event and uh there wasn't a lot of respect for is the the breach lotus filled combo yeah Mm -hmm. and this deck was still played by a very very small amount of people but it did exceptionally well and it turned a lot of heads um i guess it wasn't played by that few but the the lotus breach you can't really look at the results of the data for this deck in my opinion because this is like this is kind of like heliod like there's there's no way that the, no one's playing the same builds, right? By this point, mono black is like the same goddamn deck everyone plays, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we can look at all of that as a big sample, but like all the Lotus Breach decks and all of the the Heliod uh, variants, they're they're very unique in what people were doing with them. So it's really hard to just look at the data for this. Mm-hmm. But but if you looked at like the list that took top four, um, I, th- I believe Voss was was his name. Yeah, um, and Brent Voss. Brent Voss, and then if you looked at like Pascal Vieren's list that went seven three, they're very similar. They've got some changes, but this is like the way the deck is going to look moving forward. And I think it's a much better build of the strategy because it's it's yet again winning with the most stupid card. I cannot believe Thassa's Oracle is a magic card, but um, it's just such a weird card. But it's like the win condition in a lot of strategies now. Mill yourself out with with Underworld Breach, and then and then win the game. Well, uh, without. Pierre Pascal Vieira's list doesn't have uh, his doesn't actually have it. He he has to win in a different way, and um, 
I forgot exactly what his win condition well, his was. Well, it's, it's the same win condition, effectively. It's Fae of Wishes for Jace. Um, yes, it is, yeah. yeah. But it but just it, gained so much mana that it it then... Or it mills with Hidden Strings or something, isn't it? Or actually, I, I really don't know. Oh, you don't know how this deck works. Oh, that's you're you're in for a treat if you lose to it in the No, tournament. no, I know I know how the deck works, but I, I'm saying they they mill with I forget the card name of it, you know. So so pretty much what this deck does is it hidden strings plus pour over the pages to just net mana while getting through their deck. And they use like strategic planning and that. Um and so you know, you you scrines or whatever, you naturally draw, you get um What's the? I just want to know the name of Lotus Fill into play. You copy it with a Thespian Stage, and then you just start playing cards that untap your lands, and you dig through your deck, and then you Fave Wishes. Um, well, the actual combo is once you have um, Underworld Breach in play, you Fave Wishes for a Tomb Scour. Once you have enough mana, when you play all your untappers, mm. and then if you use Tomb Scour, so you Tomb Scour yourself, Tome you Tome Tome Scour. Tome Scour sorry, yeah. you Tome Scour yourself, then you Tome Scour yourself again. And then that now you've eaten six cards in your graveyard, but you put ten in there, so you've netted four cards. Then you bring back a hidden strings, and now you have netted um, two mana. If you have well, if you only have one in play, which is fine. If you just have one lotus fill in a land, that that's a loop. But you can net mana if you have um, two lotus fills, and but you've netted one card in your graveyard for the evening of four mana. So every four mana you invest into this combo you you net one extra card in your graveyard you go through your whole deck and then you go get the jace yeah and you can also get thought distortion um which can't be countered exiles your opponent's entire hand and then you can get your jace too like if if they have you know something that can interact with the jace um that's a way to win there too so yeah no if you if you need if if you think that they have like one thing that can can stop this yeah or you can you know, also just use your expansion to counter their counter or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, thought I think, di- the thought distortion's nice because it can't be countered and it just re- well, it Br- removes their entire hand. So, But Brent's list just played th- three thought distortion sideboard. He's just like, if I play against Blue Eye Controller of the Mirror, I'm I'm boarding this card in and I'm jamming it. Yeah. yeah. And, and Pascal might have played more than one as well, but we don't know because he didn't top eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe he put that content out there and I missed it. Um, you know, spoiler alert, I'm not playing the combo deck, even though I think I should, but I'm like trying to make sure that I hate it really well. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, and that's the thing is no one was playing, um, what's a two mana artifact called that's good against this deck. Damping sphere. Damping sphere. Damping sphere. Yeah. yeah. No one was playing damping sphere going into this weekend because this deck wasn't on the, uh, on a high priority, which is by far the best card against the deck and it's colorless. Anyone can cast it. Yeah. Um, so the this versions weekend, were just too inconsistent, plain and simple. They weren't doing great because people were just not having consistent builds. But it seems like you know Pascal definitely seems like he kind of nailed it. Or or Brent's version. I mean, they did they did just as good, if not better. And there was yeah. like a few of them that built it. And while that's true, I still think that these decks look similar. They are a little bit tighter. But the fact remained that like this deck was very good until people started playing that card and then once the new set came out there everyone was distracted no one was really playing this deck no one was hating it so it was just a good timing so i think that some people are going to show up with this deck but the problem with showing up with this deck and i think it's actually a mistake is because people are going to be way more respecting it with you know adding damping spheres or just having better game plans against it but also that fairies or spirits is on an uptick 
And so I, I'm under the impression that this was a had a huge weekend last weekend. But people that want to replicate that and bring this this weekend will, to Phoenix might actually come and have a bad time. I kind of think the same about Inverter, too. Like, I just think these combo decks with seeing the success of Banned Spirits is a very scary place to be right now. Well, I mean, but that's just it. What if Banned Spirits is just the best thing? And, and you know, like, if not enough red comes to punish the deck or black, if black and because that's what Spirits is weakest against is black and red. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was decks, black and yellow. Oh, I don't even get that joke. It's that's, a, the, the, that's a Wiz Khalifa song. Yeah. <laughs> so. But so if they don't show up, then, you know, Spirits is just going to be the best deck um, for sure. Um, if if not enough red and black show up. Now, I do think enough red is going to show up because it's a deck that people want to play. And it had a pretty good performance this past weekend. And it, and um, that's all it's going to take is people that like are iffy on what to play. They maybe haven't played a ton and they're like, yeah, I think Spirits is going to be big and red destroys it. Be like, OK, I'm I'm in, you know. And decks like Niv are are losing a little favor. Exactly. Um, yeah. A little ground. So one cool thing so that, about, I just want to say one cool thing about the, the Lotus Breach deck though, is, is that any, any like sideboard hate, like you, you can, I don't think you can beat it by like having enough hate for it because of like the, the nature of Faye of Wishes. Like, I, I think you have to beat this deck by being proactive. And I mean, it's just another example of, of a reason why proactivity is better but it's like it's like all right. I want to beat it with by playing Damping Sphere, and they're like, all right, Fae of Wishes for Natural State, blow it up, win. You know, like yeah. The longer the game goes, the more mana they also have in play, and it's a lot of mana. Yes, because um, yeah. they they because the Thespian stages stages generate additional you know mana. Yeah. Um, the thing so, is, you got to mix it with a fast clock and disruptive elements. That's how you beat it. But. Yeah, like you're gonna beat it by like them stumbling around because like some of their cards aren't lining up that well i mean i think this deck's not not slow but like you know it's just like they they don't have the right pieces yet and they're they're missing a piece or you disrupt them at the right time or something like yeah no that's for sure it um uh yeah and 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 that could be the case and that's you know another reason why you know this deck is happy to play against like blue white or niv mizzet because it's it's a very difficult to disrupt and also if you you know slaughter games or unmourn ego their fave of wishes they can still come back and just win the game with their main deck. It's it's way more difficult, but they can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like that's, that's where we're at um, with that deck. But I do think it's not going to be a great choice if enough spirits and aggressive decks show up. Um, and it's, to me, it looks like that. I mean, also I still think inverter is going to be one of the most played decks, but a lot of the people that were hyped on inverter last week, including streamers are now playing spirits this week online. Yeah. So, you know, who knows? Who knows how where to, that's going? But now we're getting to the new decks. Um, I want to talk about the new decks. Uh, we can still it. talk. I mean, we, we should talk about Heliod, but it's so abstract. I've tried all the builds. I don't like them. Some people say the mono white deck is good. I've seen like the base green cocoa versions, the base white cocoa versions. You know, I haven't played the, the base green one that took second in the Grand Prix Brussels, but Seth did and said it wasn't good. And I'm just off trying to maybe I screwed up by not working on them, but I had to make my soul tie delirium deck. Perfect. All right. There you go. Because Joel Larson rolled up with the Swedish soul tie. And not only did Joel win the whole tournament after day one, I I messaged him when he was at six, two. And I said, I love it. I'm playing it. Don't win the tournament. And he's like, no, sir, I'm not going to do that. I am in fact (laughs) going to win the whole thing and put this on the map. And I'm like, damn it. 
I'm still going to play it, but that makes my chances worse. That is so funny, Brad, because I literally <laughs> messaged him after day one, too. I was like, dude, I love this deck. Can I get the list and play it on versus live? I, I yeah. literally after day one, I said the same thing to him. That's oh, yeah. So he funny. sent me the deck list, too, but I had the I actually pegged, pegged the deck list um, off of just the data. See, that I had. you're making yeah. huge mistakes. Yeah. How so? Well, like you're you're like you're talking to somebody who's rising stock and glory and saying don't win the tournament of course they're going to win the tournament you need to start trying to get lists from me and you can be like hey don't win the tournament i don't want this deck to get out and i'll be like gotcha bro gotcha yeah, yeah i'm, I'm, on, it. It. I'm, I'm on, on it on the case i got a loss in me queued up ready to go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but bbd you're not making deck lists at the moment oh that's right yeah that is that is the one flaw in the plan yeah <laughs> all right but yeah so soul tide delirium he rolls up he wins the tournament it's a yeah. crazy Version now, delirium decks were around right at the beginning, but they were like they were you know, missing something. They were Golgari based, and then you know, with the release of Theros Beyond Death, one of the most powerful escape creatures came out in the in the form of Uro. Um, I don't even know the full name of Uro, but can Titan I can I stop wrath. you? Uh, can I Titan stop you there for wrath. one second, Brad? What? So one thing about these Golgari delirium decks that kind of they they got so pushed under the rug is all their creatures that are like really good, like Corsair Crucifix that they were playing a ton of. Chonky Red or, you know, Big Red was being played we, so much at that time. We do not call it that We don't, we don't do that podcast. here. I'm okay, sorry. Okay, sorry, yeah. sorry. I'm, I, I, I apologize. Big Red was so played at the time that it was obviously a heinous matchup against just Glorybringer the card. But now it's a completely different world. Big Red is terrible because it can't keep up with uh, combo decks like Inverter and stuff. So now, and we get these new tools that go even bigger. So, I mean, it's, it's. It's a much more friendly environment for these delirium style green black decks. I mean, I, I while I agree with that, I <laughs> the thing the thing that I think that really sets the stage for this though is that all of these two, three, and four, like your your third turn and fourth turn in delirium just sucks. Yeah. That's what it is. It doesn't matter what you're playing. It doesn't matter how they're lining up. It always sucks because these green, like tracker isn't what it used to be. Courser isn't what it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, Those cards are all just bad. They're yeah. all just bad. And yeah, I agree. And, and you never want to invest that much mana into it. Now, all of your ones and twos that set your combo up are great. Like when you can go like push into a setup Jace or a, or a Seder Wayfinder or a Grizzly Salvage into, you know, an, you know, the next turn, even another two drop into like a Thoughtseize or a push. Like those are great turns, but when you're just like playing a course or a tracker or something, um, it's not that great. But yeah. that's what Uro comes in, and Uro's like, I'm going to get you through those turns with more mana and more life. And yeah. so when you play an Uro and from triggering your hand, revolt for push and stuff, oh, it really yeah, it does it all. Oh yeah, it does that and it makes push a better card. But what it does is it just pushes you through the shittiest turns for this deck. Mm. And that's why this this can compete. Now I still am unsure of how good this deck actually is. I think it's great against the most linear aggressive strategies. Yep. I feel like it's it, it competes with Izzet and and Spirits. Um, it it's from all of my testing and other people's testing, it has a pro uh, a positive matchup against Demir, which is I don't know why I can I can try to explain it, but that one of the reasons is Uro helps you just keep your engines revving against them. Yeah, that shocked me, because that's the one thing I looked when he started the finals against Glukowski. I was like, well, he is for sure losing game one, and then he's got some tools. Um, it just looks so bad on paper, but it, it plays out so well. Yeah, one thing yeah. one thing about this deck is that 
one of the yeah one of the huge issues with delirium and midrange in general in 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 uh, pioneer is just that um i this i just want to go a little deeper into what brad was talking about is it's just that like you have the shell you know you have the stator wayfinder grizzly salvage shell that exists but the problem is that you don't have the engine to fuel the sh- like they like the deck just didn't have the engine to fuel the shell and it just like sometimes it spun its wheels too much without a payoff sometimes it couldn't get going and it just like it lacked like the engine that it needed to run that shell and so when you whenever you have a deck like that where it it like you're like a mid-range deck just they're founded on card advantage and anytime your card advantage is not a guaranteed thing you're just gonna lose a lot of games like you're gonna lose a lot of games where you don't draw the card advantage and like you might be winning the game but as the game stretches on you flood out and lose or you know like you draw the wrong half of your deck or there's just so many ways you can lose like that and like uro just fixes so many of those problems by making sure that you never run out of gas which is just you have to have things like that to compete in a format like that so yeah. really like you might think like okay like it's just one card but honestly it's just it makes or breaks the difference between this being like a 40 percent deck versus you know may, maybe an above 50 percent deck and I mean, all the free value you get from these Seder Wayfinders and these Grizzly Salvages, if you ever just flip, you know, Uro just off that, like, think how much better those cards read if it says you can also cast a very powerful four drop from your graveyard, you know? Yeah, I mean, that that's a that's a big key point is like before, yeah, like that that goes exactly with it. It's like before you cast Seder Wayfinder and you get a land from it, but Sometimes. then you would you would need to play another card to get value out of the other things that you had put into your graveyard. And if mm-hmm. you didn't have that other card, like the Traverse or the whatever, then maybe your Wayfinder just doesn't do anything. But with Uro, it's there's all you're always live to just dumping Uro. It's kind of like Hogak. How I was just gonna say that I was like, look at <laughs> when you flip Hogak over with a Seder Wayfinder, all of a sudden your two mana one one that netted you a land for turn three is also paired with an eight eight. You know, and I mean this is very close to that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so. Once once I saw that deck, I, I actually tested it a ton and it was doing really well. And um, you know, I, I the the big proudest things I have for the deck is I, I haven't lost a game to a red deck or a black deck, a mono black deck yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is probably, you know, knock on wood karma, but like I was just annihilating them and I was like, what the hell? Right? Like this is messed up. But what my biggest outlier is I I lost like I won my first Demir Inverter match and I'm like, okay, that felt good. And then I lost my second because I didn't really know what was going on yep. yet. But then I won my next eight and I'm currently nine and one against Demir Inverter online. And I've oh. tried different cyborg plans and stuff. And yeah, game one's a little bit worse and game two and three are better. But <clears throat> I don't even know if that's the right, that, that's how good the matchup is. Now they went five and three against it in the tournament, but their competition might've been a little harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows what happens going into this next weekend. And maybe that's just wrong because on paper, it looks like inverter should win the matchup, but it actually, you have a lot of tools. And so, I mean, I'm just going with my data. I've, I've had some good leagues. So has, you know, Logan and Reed. And so, and we're also, you know, the black green boys. So like, we're just mm-hmm. running the deck. Like we're also the ones that went down with the ship with John and everyone's like, don't get on that ship. It's not worth it. And it's like, no, we must build it. And you know, go down with it. And everyone's like, that's just stupid. Why are you doing this? And we're like, well, that's just our life. Is, well, is, you, is this like the, also did very good at that tournament though, too. <laughs> is this like the famous, like Theseus pro I think it was Theseus like uh thing where it's like, if you replace one board of a ship, Oh yeah. You know, if you, if, if you like leave on a journey on your ship and, and, and um, like 
you you individually replace every board of the ship as you're on your journey is it the same ship or not when you reach the end of your journey you know like it, like none of the wood is the original wood yeah so so to paint to it, paint a better yeah. picture for for the audience you leave on a ship that the only things on the ship is food for you to survive and enough supplies to build a ship yeah and as as you're going you remove a piece of wood and replace it with a new piece of wood and then remove another old piece of wood and replace it with a piece of wood while you discard the the old piece of wood <laughs> is it still the same ship and no, it's not. It's Soltai. It's not Junda anymore. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But is it? Yeah. Um, that's. Yeah. I mean, I mean, every time I look at my set of Thoughtseizes, is they just keep looking back at me and being like, why do you keep doing this to yourself? And I'm like, I don't know Thoughtseizes. <laughs> I want to say one thing about uh, the Demir Inverter deck, and that is like it had it had kind of a middling finish. So we're not sure about how good it is. And, you know, we're saying, like, Spirits is beating it. We're saying that, uh, you know, Sultai, based on your data, is beating it, and also based on the data from the event. Uh, but I I think the fundamental combo of that deck is 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 ex- incredibly powerful. And, and I just, I think it would be a huge mistake to undersell it coming into the next tournament, because... Oh, oh, no, I'm, I'm not trying to. And it didn't even have that middling. It went 58%. Honestly, like I, I've every, there's like a bunch of different people who are posting win rates for decks, and they all are different. I don't know what to trust. Okay, well, on this website I sent you the last link to it. It says fifty eight percent. Yeah, but the other two links do not say fifty eight percent. Oh, like, what, I mean, what, it, it what, what am I supposed to believe? Exact... But anyway, regardless, yeah. regardless, um, yeah, it had a positive win rate, but it's like it took a long time for Splinter Twin to become a dominant deck in modern. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that this deck is Splinter Twin. I mean, there's similarities, but like I, I don't know if it's going to be this next tournament or five months from now or whatever it's going to be. But I, I just think that this deck will be a dominant force in this format uh, down the line, even if it's not like going to put up the best result, you know, this very next weekend or whatever. Yeah, I mean, oh, look yeah. at look at Sahili Cat. You know, I mean, that was like a Jeskai control deck. And then when it got to its final form, then it was just absurd and it had to be banned, you know? Oh, yeah, there's a ton of good examples. Like, yeah. I mean, Splinter Twin was a combo deck until somebody's like, let's put four Bolt and Snapcasters in the deck. Yeah, yeah. And and it made the deck infinitely better. And so um, I completely agree with you, Brian. We can't sell this deck short. I think this combo is actually just going to get Dig Through Time banned um, yeah. eventually because, you know, that, that that card is too good to exist, in my opinion, anyway. But, I mean, I think the combination of that and the breach deck, you know, I mean, is too is too much of a common factor of how good the card is in these <clears> kind <throat> of degenerate combo decks, you know? Yeah, I mean, and and the best the best thing to explain about the difference is everyone kind of compares Dig Through Time to Treasure Cruise, but Treasure Cruise is like a cantrip fetch land card, mm-hmm. and and it's not always good. Dig Through Time can always be good in a deck that wants to tap enough mana for it, like a blue eye control deck. It's pretty good in. Mm-hmm. Um, or blue black control because you can tap you know three or four mana for it later on yeah it, I mean, it's instant, just too versatile instant speed instant speed is the is the and it's too versatile thing. yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just it can be a control finishing card advantage spell it can be a part of a combo engine yeah like it's just it's just much better yeah d- but treasure cruise is a one mana draw three in decks that can af- use that effect like like yeah i think of treasure cruise as costing one mana and dig through time is costing four mana 
Yes. And I think that that's the key difference is because we don't have the fetch lands or the cards to enable one mana treasure cruise. That's why dig through time is, is way better in, in pioneer, but that was not the case in legacy where treasure cruise was way better than dig through time. And I mean, honestly, that's a, I, I took that bit from pioneer where I was just like, wow, this card is insane. And I just threw it in standard play a bunch of Narset and Elspeth Conquers death. You get to dig through time. Like every other turn. It's great. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> um, so so now that we've gotten that out, now there's also a Sarams combo deck, and I don't know how many people are going to show up with that. That that that's the the the, the crazy uh, Nagoya deck that what's his name played? Ken Yukihiro. Ken. Yeah, Ken Yukihiro. Just another from from his brain, brain's greatest hits. Um, and they did well with that deck. I will say we played it on versus live today against uh, Bad Spirits and. Uh, <laughs> It felt kind of bad. It felt kind of bad. I, I mean, I, I do. I don't think it's that good. I do think it's got a very good. No, I mean, it felt like a bad matchup uh, from the Bant Spirits side. Like they have just. Okay, well, the way that you said the words out of your mouth, it <laughs> yeah. sounded like you said Sram's auras was bad. True, true. I did say that poorly, but I mean, just the combination. But if they were watching, if our audience was watching your tone and your face, they could have put it together what you meant. I get. What do you mean Thanks. they are watching? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what we I'm have saying. Viewers, yeah. <laughs> But the combination of lifelinkers as well as just making them giant with one mana protection spells, it it didn't feel great. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows that that deck might be good. I'm hoping it's not because, you know, and I'm hoping my deck can can, can combat it. Like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't played against it yet. I, I, I got some testing in against almost everything in the metagame. And I I don't know what more I can do besides just pick a better deck. But that's not going to happen. Um. And so, you know, I'm playing Soul Tie. I've been testing it a lot. I've made some changes to the deck and not a ton, but like, you know, I did the thing that I normally do, add an extra land. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm playing a second Walking Ballista because it's just a, a very good card against like spirits and just, just a good magic card. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so hopefully that helps me out in so- certain matchups. But I'm, I'm just excited to play my deck. I'm a little nervous because, you know, the tournament matters a lot, but um i did all my testing from home i feel it's a little bit more unique it's a weird experience for me to be going into a tournament after um two big tournaments i just have kind of like decision making paralysis from just so much data i don't really know like i feel like you know i want to solve it but there's no way i can solve all of this in the amount of time we have it also feels kind of sad to me just a little bit sad the new system it's it's so I'm so used to, you know, seeing Mueller, seeing Chris, seeing all our European friends and stuff. And just the fact that that's not going to happen, it it just doesn't feel like a, a true pro tour to me. You know, I mean, well, that's what the so, finals is supposed to be. I, I, the, I get it. But so so I mean, I'm I'm willing to talk about this right now if you two are. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. All right. So um, I mean, let's just let's let's just quick wrap up what we're playing. So what is everyone else playing? And then we can talk about this. I mean, I'm definitely gonna play Soltide Delirium too. I'm, uh, I'm my man. I'm putting, I'm putting a lot of faith in the bro on this one. I did not. That's uh, stupid. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get to test as much as I would have liked to with some busy weekends here. But I think the deck is awesome. I think it's gonna be a blast to play. And once again, I'm, I'm gonna put some uh, faith in Brad Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting zero faith in Brad Nelson. I'm playing, uh, I'm playing Spirits because I. 
uh, didn't test much, and I think I can play that deck better than I will play the Sultai deck, and it is it is a much more straightforward deck. So, okay. Okay. cool. All right, Ram so style now- collected company decks are kind of your thing, though, BBD. Yeah, I do. I have historically <laughs> had good success with Coco. So, and also the b- best thing, even though you didn't test much in this format, like you understand what's in the decks. You also get decklist, which is a huge help for you now. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. And without testing, but it's also like we've been playing Magic for a very long time. We played all these cards. We've been in these same exact situations with you know different lists, but the same cards. It's not like new standard cards where you know it's a ton of new cards that increase more variables like you've seen all these spirits cards interact mm-hmm. right i've and, seen i've seen all the cards before like i don't i i i think i am disadvantaged significantly to people who have um who have done a lot of testing but i think i am advantaged over other people who haven't done that much testing probably just by nature wise, of wise words yes <laughs> <laughs> Just by all nature right. of having played so much in the past with these all these cards. Yeah. So I wrote this article, and I think Cedric's <laughs> going to put it up this week. I don't know if he's actually going to put it up. I think he, he said he liked it. Um, but it, it has to do with this like whole player store thing. So I get that this is different than the Pro Tours, and what the Pro Tours meant was special to a lot of us because we got to see everyone each four week or, you know, every quarter we got to see a lot of the same people and stuff like that. But that, that's not a good competitive system. There was a lot of problems with it. Flights and issues. Everyone like had to fly around the world all the time. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of costs involved to that. Um, there's a lot of people in the system of wizards paying some amount of money to them, but it wasn't enough to make anyone happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so everyone was saying, I don't want to spend all this money to go to Europe right now. It's $2,000. And, you know, I don't, I'm sick of being platinum and only getting this small amount of money. And so like they changed the system and now there are, yes, there are regional tournaments that feed into a, a bigger tournament with more prestige, a lot more money. And it's only a, a smaller fill, 125. And while it is true now that there's just going to be people that have been on the pro tour that have seen people every, you know, four times a year for a decade now or how long they've been there that will never see that person again because they might go to different players towards finals than the other person. And, you know, they might not ever see each other again unless they make a plan for it. Well, the players tours finals are in one location. You meant regional. Regional. Well, well, no, but I'm saying, so I'll like, for example, I will always play a different tournament than Martin Mueller regional. Yeah, you, you said the finals it, though, because there is a, only one finals. There's no reason. So what finals. I mean, sorry, I, what I meant by that is, we might never play the same finals. I might play a certain final. Somebody else might play a different finals. Right? You're because, saying because of the ones, you, you, it's it's not a guarantee that you're qualified for it. So uh, the same one as a friend. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not okay. a guarantee sure. that, that I'm qualified. That, for yeah, it. that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And and because those and the mythic invitationals are the only tournaments and worlds, I guess that bring together the entire um the entire world for for magic events yeah it it you know it there's still more big events that bring everyone together but it's smaller fields yeah and and so i get people's frustration about that but that doesn't make the system bad and i don't really like the argument of i liked a certain aspect of how it was and therefore i'm going to complain that it's no longer that way when 
yes, of course, any system change, if there's, you know, you got to look at the pros and cons. And you can argue that there's enough cons that the whole thing should be scrapped. But I just don't get this whole, like, it didn't feel like a pro tour. Well, it's not a pro tour. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then some people are saying, like, it's disingenuous to call it a player's tour because then you call it a PT. And it's like, well, that's just a branding thing. It's not like I thought they're that lying was, to people. I actually thought that was great branding. I well, people that, think it's like disingenuous. Yeah, but I I think it's great branding because, uh, like the the term here's the reason why people think it's disingenuous. Whatever. Like I I just think that people like st- to still use the term PT to refer to these events, like Mythic Championships. Yeah. People were still that calling them. Smart. Yeah. People are still calling them PTs instead of Mythic Championships. And so now they changed the branding such that it's not the same term. It's no longer Pro Tour. It's Players Tour. They made it, you know, that's they made it clear that it's a different event, but it's still PT so that people who want to call it a PT and who don't want to have to change like that aspect of things, they still get to say PT and people know what they mean. I thought it was perfect branding. Yeah. Like, also, 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 did you see those hands like the 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 handbags that they gave out this time around instead of just the little ma- magic bags? No, I didn't see them. Yeah, oh, they, they, look nice. they look like really like actual like, you know, like my computer bag. Yeah, they look like a hand satchel like that, like an actual oh, like that's awesome. nice bag with nice mythic or nice uh, player regional players tour branding or players tour branding. Um, All of, you, you know, like all of the uh, the rope around an event. Yes. All of that was branded. Like, you know, like whatever's between the two bars had branding on it. Like, cool. you know, players tour branding. It just looked legit. They had a huge big screen in in uh Brussels coverage for like people to watch on day three instead of like a few TVs or kind of bigger TVs that had a giant um projector. And I'm oh, hoping that they have God. the same. I hope yeah. they have that for us here too. That's but one thing like- I missed was being able to just watch feature match coverages while you're while you're at the tournament, you know, like in between rounds. I th- they got rid of those for like the last nine months or whatever, and I really missed that. Yeah, and so while I really, you know, I, I I hope all that shows up here and I hope they, you know, are more mindful to like the experience at the events, it does look like they are and they're putting more investment into it. It looked, it seems. I did hear that one of the venues had a really bad issue with bathrooms, but that's not really a wizard's effort thing. Yeah. I just want to say that like the, the, the phenomenon you're describing where players who benefited from the previous system complain that the new system isn't the same as the previous system is, is I mean, that's, you know, tale as old as time. Like, but the tale as old as time is the people that aren't complaining are the ones benefiting from it, too. Yes, that's also we could true. also We could also just, you know, we, we can point the finger back at us. and Oh, I completely agree. I I feel bad about it, but to be completely honest, I'm so done with everything related to that that I'm just... I'm I'm happy to play my time out and then leave and never come back. So yeah. I, 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 I honestly, I, I just don't want to get involved in Twitter arguments anymore or any like, or post, you know, my opinion on that kind of stuff. I just never want to do that again. Like I I'm, and, and that's a, also a common thing where people who benefit from a system, they now feel detached from the other people in that system to the point where they don't, I, I don't know. It's just, everything's playing out the way that it normally does. But I'm just saying that I I just I don't feel connected to the magic community anymore and I don't want to like. Yeah. And I want to clarify one thing that I I feel that it's not truly like doesn't feel like a player's tour. I mainly mean just because I don't get to see my European friends. I'm excited for like the new tournament styles and stuff and I'm excited to play the tournament. Uh, I'm just, you know, 
mainly going to miss not being able to hang with uh, all the people I would normally see at a tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to miss the Danes. They're, it, they're it, a lot of fun. That's the main thing. I miss my Mueller, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one thing no. I want to say is, I, I think people just have this, like, this happens all the time. It's the same thing as people are, like, people in politics who are, like, um, you know, like, we got to go back to the golden days, like the 1950s, where everything was great. And it's, like, you don't know that because you weren't alive, you know, like, you weren't alive in the 1950s. And number two, like, that's an idealized, like, version of the past that doesn't necessarily reflect reality because there's a lot of horrible things that happen well then. yeah it's like when you say like like we should go back to 90 videos when things are good i'm thinking in my head it's like so you want separate you know water fountains like yeah. the, like like what part of the 1950s are you looking back on when you know you could just be horrible to your significant other and that's just normal yeah. like I, like I, I i i don't get that either um about the but timeline like, stuff so I want to be clear about one thing. There's a lot of aspects of the new system that aren't great. Like, I'm not trying to say that it's a perfect system or I don't even know if it's better than the old system. Like, I I, I can't say that definitively. Um, but, you know, there's let's a lot of. Ask- there's let's a lot find of. Ask- out. Yeah. yeah. Number one, let's find out. And number two, they are making changes and they are trying to make it a better system um, for sure. So it's going to get better as years progress. Uh. And then number three, people's idolized version of what the previous system were like is just not reality. People complained constantly about the old system all the time. It was just a nonstop complaining. And now those same people are complaining about the new system, too, because it isn't the old system that they whined about incessantly. Like at some point, you have to realize that you're just going to complain about anything that doesn't specifically benefit you in the most possible oh, way oh oh i think wizards is aware <laughs> oh of course they're definitely oh, they're aware but it's like aware of that they're definitely aware but it's just i i don't know to me it's just i'm just so sick of all of it well yeah i I'm mean just i'm just so sick you. of all of it no i know you are and i know that you have had a disattachment to magic because of this and it you know, I, honestly 2019 hit you hard about all of this twitter twitter literally is the reason why i feel disattached from the magic community completely when i was streaming on twitch I thought my I thought the Twitch community was great. When I go to a tournament and I talk to people at a physical tournament, I have a great time and those and people are awesome. But when mm-hmm. I see magic on Twitter, it it just drives me away. And like and and because of the way magic is now where I'm at home playing on arena, you know, a lot of these tournaments, you know, that we play online and stuff, there's not as much tournaments I'm traveling to. Like that is my magic community and honestly I don't want to be a part of it. So but, yeah, no. Come back to Roanoke, play on the SCG tour. <laughs> I have so much fun every weekend. So much fun. I We've well, been there and people. done that, though, bro. Yeah. yeah I feel yeah. you. I feel you. Yeah. But, like, I, I just want to say that a lot of the things that Watsi is doing with these regionalized tournaments, yeah, they're not going to feel the same as Pro Tours, but a lot of the changes are a direct result of people's complaints, and this is them trying to fix the system because of the way that people complained, because people were complaining about the cost of travel. And their solution was, we're going to make these tournaments regionalized so that people don't have to pay so much for travel because that was a huge complaint that people had about about the other system. And so that this was a solution to that complaint. And then now people are complaining that they that like it doesn't feel the same. It's like, yes, but this was their attempt to fix the other problem that you were complaining about. And honestly, I think it's a good fix for that problem. 
Well, no, the best fix is to have one pro tour <clears throat> where everyone gets paid a lot of money and Wizards flies them to it. Of course, yeah. That's that's the best tournament. Yeah, but we, yeah, like I, no, I I'm with you. It's it. I I I don't get it, and yeah, I'm not even that happy with the system. I do want to like this is actually something I do like about it. There's a there's like other stuff that I if I talked about it would literally just be like like the, the minutia. One, uh, well, it's it's the the whole MPL thing, which only matters to 24 people, right? Um, which is just like. I don't like the, the, so for everyone, except for the MPL, the system I like of, you know, all the tournaments you play in them, you compete against the whole world. Right. But because the MPL only competes against itself, I do not like the fact that, you know, I'm not, I'm playing tournaments that my competition isn't playing in. I I just don't like that. I think that like, if we are the 24 people only competing against 24 people, the, whenever possible, uh, how we value or rank ourselves in in the MPL should come should from all be there be yeah. playing against each other yeah yeah and there's not a single event in the entire season where we are playing head to head by a structure we can run into each other we can bump into mm-hmm. each other while we're out there in the tournaments but that's it there's no MPL you know weekly and yes that production flopped and people didn't like that production but the idea that we battled each other was that what was good. made yeah. the MPL feel like an actual league. league and yeah right but so i don't even like the idea like rivals has to play against challengers I, I i think that that should either have something involved with that um which it kind of does but not really but we shouldn't be at all these different tournaments and also the way that points are set up are based on everything else for everyone else fairness so our regional events are worth more points from the mpl than any of our other events it's like the one tournament that we do not have a chance of playing each other in is our most important tournament of the season. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, it's not a league if you don't play against other competitors in the league. That's just my personal take. I, I yeah. I've I mean I've been I've hashed it out with Watsi a bunch of times on that, but it's like, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm looking and I see like Ken and Shota and Lishi and and um you know Piotr, Paulo like doing like top eighting these tournaments and it's like, you know, maybe their road to top eighting that event was a very much easier road than the one that I'll take in Phoenix, or maybe my road in Phoenix will be significantly easier than the road that some of these other players who didn't do well in these tournaments took. And maybe somebody gets con- conceded to in some event, and I don't get that, that concession. That did happen and tweeted about. Yeah, like and- Andre got a concession in one of these tournaments. Yeah, and like we're I don't, fighting for a slot, and he's yeah. getting concessions. And, and like, and like, that's never gonna like. No one's gonna get a concession if you're battling against each other for placement. So it's like there, there's a lot of flaws in in the system. Like I I don't want to go into I don't want to no, spend no, the episode no. talking about the flaws in the system. But I just want to say that like I actually like the regional and finals setup. I, I think it was a good solution for the problems at hand because there's no perfect solution that will satisfy everyone. Um, but this was a solution that that is that is trying to address a lot of the problems. And it was a solution that was come to after a lot of discussion and a lot of changes that were made from other people's suggestions. So I, I do think that there, yeah, there's a lot of flaws, but it's it's something that's being worked on. And and a lot of people saying, like, this isn't what we want. Well, whatever we had before also wasn't what they wanted either. They just don't remember it that way. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's a. Uh... That's a good closing for that. And that's a good closing for the episode. Um if you have any comments or concerns about the content, 
in this episode, actually just uh, at uh, Bash Bros Podcast, and we'll get back to you about it because we talked about Pioneer, but we also talked about a lot of cool stuff at the end. So if you have anything, just let us know, and we'll uh, we'll respond if we want to. Yeah, even if you want to just tell me that I'm an idiot or whatever, feel free. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, we might eat Maybe some crow, but idiot. if it's too bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, was this, did this not apply to me? No, it, did, it oh. did, but you didn't follow the, your, the instructions. You didn't okay. tweet at I'll the tweet. Bash. Yeah, thank you. I'll tweet you, bud. Sorry. All right, so now we're at the end of the episode, and I'm happy um, because it's my favorite part of the show. We get to talk yeah. about the casting crew. Now, if you don't know what the casting crew on the Bachelor's Podcast is, it is our Patreon support. If you want the podcast to keep going and to uh, get some cool stuff like shirts that we're looking into, uh, and, and, and of course you like the content, please go over to patreon.com slash Bash Bros. Uh, is it Bash Bros Podcast or just Bash Bros? Bash Whatever Bros you podcast. can Google. Bash Bros, Bash Bros Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Bash Bros Podcast and become a Patreon supporter. There's a, there's a few tiers and there should be some more once we start getting some awesome stuff that we're looking into. Um, but for now, our $5 supporters become our cast and crew and we got a few new members. And so Ooh. we got to add them to the list. So this is the end of the episode. We're going to go through our cast and crew right now. Thank you for watching. And, uh, or, damn it, I did it. <laughs> Thank Nailed you for it. listening. Uh, no, but that's disrespectful further... to Rabbit Chicken to say thank you for listening. Yeah. Let's keep yes, it. Without further ado, <laughs> closing off the show with the cast and crew list. Let's do it, bro. All right. Our first member of the cast and crew is EJ Wren. And this is Corey's down player. You know, I get really hyped up. Someone's got to chill me out. All right. Next, we have Alex Arnoldy, who is our data analyst uh whenever we have a lot of data and uh he analyzes it all <laughs> what no nothing nothing right it's your turn <laughs> yeah pierre vendelbo is Corey's trophy organizer ever since Corey moved to roanoke he has been collecting trophies at an astronomical rate and so we needed somebody to start organizing them in yeah, fact uh, gonna- i gotta say that pierre is actually our hardest work hardest working member of the crew can, can can actually can really Pierre putting be, Pierre through that? Can, yeah. Can Pierre be my trophy organizer? Because I actually have trophies scattered all over my office. There's got to be somebody to pick out bridesmaid dresses for you, bro. Humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's they like the Magic Online trophies. They're they're already pre-sorted. So. Yeah, and Brad, there's somebody we can get somebody to buy you bridesmaid dresses. So, thank you. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't hurt even this long? All right, all after. right. <laughs> I think it does. Anyways, we got Paul. Here it is. <laughs> Kakaroski. Okay, Brian sets up who's going to deliver which cast and crew. Do you just give Corey the hardest names? Hey, Corey did it this To time. be fair, I set oh, this okay. one up and right. I really hit myself hard here. But anyways, Paul K is a BBD's wall staring photographer. BBD looks at a lot of walls. Someone's got to capture those moments. Yeah, and, uh, and and have you been in the Discord, Brian, lately? Have oh, you I've actually... seen them. I've seen every one of them. You have seen them. I mean, I was there for them. Like that, he took. Oh the yeah, pic- you were. Oh yes, but yeah, Special K did actually take all those pictures for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what are you talking about? I was there at the source. All right, next we got Daniel Russell, Brad's international document consultant. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, too I, soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, too not, soon. Too too soon. Daniel, meaning, Daniel, yeah. get your shit together. <laughs> no, he needs to get your shit together. Yeah. 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 All right. Next up, spoon tongue is BBD's hairstylist because that shit is whack. 
<laughs> and then we got somebody who's been in a lot of work lately. It's Tom Wilkinson, our yeah. on-call Sultai correspondent. And you know what? We've uh, we've actually used him this week. He's been completely useless other yeah, times. We thought, yeah, we thought th- that's just th- that's just the case. Sometimes an employee might lose a little bit of value, and you lose sight of how important they are. Yeah. Until that week where they step up, and Tom stepped up. No kidding. Yeah. All right, we got uh, David Watt, special guest screener. I got to say. I've been quite impressed with David's work. This week was a little bit of a miss, though. (laughs) (laughs) At least you can be honest. Yeah. Would you say that his voltage was low this week? (laughs) Yeah, I would say it was uh, (laughs) low wattage. Yeah. (laughs) Impressive. Victor Baumkamp is our executive producer. Just handles everything. Bros, fist bumps. Never seen Victor a day in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's giving me a lot of Jaeger bombs, so that, uh, that we got to blame him for some of my looseness on the cast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then we got a uh, symbol, which is our executive waste management operator. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a disgusting job, but someone's got to do it. Yeah, shitty job. Someone's got to do it. Also, you sure you yeah. pronounced that name correctly? Yes, I am. Okay, <laughs> just making sure. All right, we got Rabbit Chicken, vice president of video operations. Uh, as long as Brad still refers to it as watching the podcast, Rabbit Chicken still has a job. Hey, <laughs> hey, I do do that. All right. Gier Majeldi. There he is. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> the assistant to the assistant regional manager. We'll never know if we're pronouncing that name correctly. We know well, we what aren't. his job is. Yeah. Frankly, or her job, I don't want to know what their job is. I just don't want to know. Yeah. All right. Uh, then we got Andreas Haman, which is our Richmond gas station scouter. Uh, I was just in Richmond. Um, uh, Andreas came with, was really planning out BBD's next, uh, we'll call it adventure. Yeah. Let's just say it's, it's, <laughs> o- it was over 9,000 is my, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a, what a shitty way to go out. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> All right. Again, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the episode and we will see you next week after we, Finish up in Phoenix and bring you a tournament report. See you then. Woo, bye.